0: after a whole bunch of stuff, um, but I've never preached after something like that before. So, um, <laughs> but I, I fully, wholeheartedly say amen to what you are doing for Pastor Rob next week and um and and just bless him in every way and his family because the family sacrifices as much as you could ever imagine. Um, they they go without their father there, without their husband there, and um and they are um they are as much to be appreciated and honored as Pastor Rob. So I just encourage you what you're doing. So um it's good to be here. If you weren't here two weeks ago, I was here and we talked about Psalm 91 and being uh, how to live fear-free f- fear living. It's hard to say. Um, but today, I was going to do something totally different. But in knowing that there's communion later, I felt the Lord kept bringing me to a passage of Jesus on the cross. So why don't you turn with me and turn in your Bible to Luke chapter 23. Luke chapter 23, we're going to start at verse 32. Uh, I want to talk to you today about being a grace dispenser. So stand with me. Why don't you stand? You stand for everything else that that, that they do in today's society. It is uh, more than appropriate to stand for the Word of God. How many agree with that? Amen. So... um, Verse 32, Luke chapter 23, verse 32. Um, I'm reading out of the New International Version, so if yours doesn't read like mine, um, that's okay. You don't have God's Word, but that's okay. You can listen to mine. I'm joking. I am joking. I hear guys say that who read out of the King James all the time. Two other men, both criminals, were also let out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the skull, there they crucified him, along with the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. Father, when you said, for, when your son said, forgive them. For they don't know what they are doing. Lord, that is applicable not only at this scene. But it goes on for all mankind because so often... We do not realize how we sin against you, but you cover us with a prayer at this cross that covers us to this very day. So Lord, open our hearts and speak to our hearts. We need your forgiveness. We need your grace. And so Lord, teach us today how we are called to be grace dispensers. For it's in your name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. I'm going to get this for later in my sermon. I'm going to bring it closer to me. I brought this um, in the state, in the colony of Virginia back in the 1600s. They were intent that the law they were going to bring forth didn't imitate or even take the shape of what England's law was like. So when someone would kill someone else, they, they, they were righteous people and they felt that it wasn't right for them. Only God could take life. So they felt that they had to punish someone. But they didn't know exactly how they would apply that law with not killing someone themselves. They felt you can't, multi- you can't do the same thing where- that this person did that we are punishing them for, but the society does it back to them. They were intent, if you ever read some of their writings, that doing the same thing that they did does not s- cleanse society. It actually becomes a scourge on society. So here's what they would do. When someone was convicted of murder they would not bury the body that was murdered. They would strap it in a strap and a tie that that person could not take off. They would strap the dead body on the back of the person who killed him. That person would have to carry that death around with him. And the law goes on to say that not one criminal who ever committed murder ever lived for more than two weeks. Why? When you carry death on your body, in your heart, or on your back, it doesn't treat you well. When we have forgiveness that is not being dispensed in our life, when someone's hurt us, when we have pain, when we have been treated rudely, ruthlessly, without any grace, when we have been hurt. You can't live very long without being hurt. You can't work any place without being hurt by a boss or by certain rules. You can't be in a church very long without seeing having something... Can I have the water, babe? Without something happening that you aren't hurt, hurt by. Anyone know what I'm talking about? But the fact is... For you to sit there and not know how to handle that hurt. What happens, the more you strap another hurt, the more and more you are strapping something to your life. That if we do not process it the way God wants us to process it, it will become a death into our heart. You see, in this portion of scripture that I just got done reading, on the cross, Jesus did so many remarkable things that I, that 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 I could wish I could tell you all of them at one but this one where he says father forgive them for they don't know what they do maybe one of the most poignant moments of Jesus on the cross because After being cruelly mocked by the soldiers and scorned by the crowds his whole way, all the way up to Golgotha to where they hung him on the cross, he was unjustly tried six times within one night. He was beaten and whipped and slapped at every single trial. They put a crown of thorns, the soldiers. They said, you say you're the king of the Jews. So they took thorns and they just shoved it into his head in mocking because he called himself the king of the Jews. He was betrayed by Judas. He was denied by Peter. He was nailed to the cross. They, 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 They flung a spear into his side. He was hung there humiliated and naked and taunted. By this time, hundreds of people had spit upon him, had jeered on, had jeered him as he walked by. One thief, a criminal, made fun of him on the cross. After all this, after having witnessed all this and seeing everyone in this whole scenario, Realize he was he was lined by criminal on each side. At his feet there were the Pharisees that tried him. That his whole life tried to tried to catch him in a, in a theological loophole. They tried to always question his authority. They always claimed he was a, a, a heretic. And he was even there because they claimed he was... Preaching the gospel, he had no reason and no right to preach. And the disciples who had had betrayed him, even though Judas betrayed him and Peter denied him, every other one of the disciples did not stay by his side unless John, the beloved, stood there with his mother. It was a cacophony. It was a symphony of rejection of audacity it was a a moment where 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 the pride coming together of all of humanity stood there and spat upon the king of kings and all of humanity thought they had the right to judge the judge himself they all came and puffed their shoulders and flung their words And into the midst of this as they scorn the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He saw them all. And what was his response? Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. For they don't know what they do. It is my prayer that by the time you leave this room today, That phrase will never again be the same. That you catch what he says in a way like you have never seen it. Because history and theology and the context of that situation have have some meanings as you read it that jump out at you. Because the cross showed God at his best and humanity at its worst. It so showed the love of God at the most and the best he can be. Yeah, I think it's the next day the, the one before it said it showed humanity at its best. It showed God at his best, and man at his worst, because God did because Jesus brings these two elements together. What a contrast. Grace is more than what you say at dinner. This picture of what Jesus did at this moment is perhaps the most poignant picture of what grace is in all of the Bible. For the Bible has a love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13. The Bible has a faith chapter in Hebrews chapter 11. It's called a faith chapter. The very definition of faith is the very first verse of that chapter. But never once... Is not only does it not have a grace chapter, it doesn't ever even, Jesus never even said the word grace one time in all of the Bible. But it's on every page, it is the motivation of everything he does. And out of everything we see in the Bible, it is this very moment on the cross of Calvary that we see grace being demonstrated like never before in history and never since. Has there ever been such a display of God's grace? Not man's grace, God's grace. Because what we see here is not the grace of humanity, but the grace of God. And I say amen to that. There's a huge difference. If someone, if you had a 10-year-old son, let me give you a picture of God's grace. If you had a 10-year-old son, looked like you, had the same callic in your hair just like you, his teeth would, would move just like you, his fingers were as crooked as yours. If your, son, your 10-year-old son, whom you loved more than words can say, and a vile criminal came by, when you're wearing around and killed your 10 year old son, for you to track him down by every means, whether it was legal or not, don't forget I'm Italian, and, and you get any way you can and you make sure that that man has killed himself, it would be called vengeance. Interestingly enough, Anyone who exacted vengeance in their lifetime throughout history have always said it never felt like it was vengeance. Because doing the same sin to something that was done to you never erases it. It only multiplies it. But if you would kill that man, it would be called vengeance. If you let the police catch him and he was brought to trial... And he was pronounced guilty and he was sentenced for life. And he went, he was taken to one of the California, you know, penitentiaries and he would spend his life there. Our society calls that justice. Even though no family that has ever had that happen ever felt like that was justice. But it's what we call justice. But if someone killed your son, and the, and the society and the courts brought him through a trial, and they found that, they, they, they came to the verdict that he was guilty... If you did like the Pope did many years ago, you would sit down with the convicted murderer and say, because you realize for me to carry that sin and that hurt and that, and that sin in my life, for me to carry that grudge and bitterness towards the person kills me more than I could imagine. And for you to sit across the table and tell that heinous criminal, I forgive you. That's man's grace. It's pretty good, don't you think? Most of us couldn't do that. But if someone killed your son, and he was captured by the police, and he was pronounced guilty, and sentenced for life, if you walked up to the bailiff at that very moment, and you had that bailiff take the shackles off the hands and the feet of the criminal who killed your son and to put the shackles on you. And you would serve that sentence. And he would not only go free, but he would become part of your family. That's the grace of God. For when we are are found guilty of our sin, the judge himself comes off the dais and he takes the sin that we have been found guilty of and he pays the price and he serves the call, the, the, the sentence, and we are not only forgiven, we are called to live in his family, eat at his table, and live forever and ever without, with him. How many know? That's only the grace of God. The grace of God. We can't even conceive it, let alone do it. The grace of God is the most, it is the most outlandish display of love and forgiveness that history will ever be able to muster up. Yet Jesus does it at this very moment, and he does it forever and ever and ever. Anyone say amen to that? You see, there's not a person in this room that could and would do this. But this is exactly what Jesus did on the cross. It's how God cares for us every moment of our life, because it's beyond our ability and comprehension. Now you see why it's so hard to grasp God's love and grasp God's Its dimensions are unbelievable. As he said, "Father, forgive them." You see, when I face God's, when I face God's grace, I want to run away because I know I don't deserve it. I want to run away because I I I can't earn it. I can't. You know what? That that shouldn't be given to me. I know I deserve the sin and the sentence. I shouldn't be given that forgiveness. But that's what He offers us. My flesh wants to run away, but our spirits know this is the only source of life we could ever find is only found in His grace. And the moment we take anyone's sin or anything in our life, uh, we, us Christians, there was a there was only last uh, last last month there was a, a a poll by the by the Pew Foundation. And they asked people to tell us the the most common adjective. You can tell us what you think about Christians. Anyone want to take a guess? 91% said that we are judgmental. 91% of people that aren't Christians think that we're judgmental. uh, 89% feel that we are unforgiving. That we hold sin against people. Oh, we can sit there and say, oh, not us! But if your son was gay, the last thing he would feel is forgiven. I believe it's a sin. But I also know That God did not die on the cross for Tony Severo to be the judge of humanity. And we sometimes think this desk gives us the right to change our job. This desk is here to proclaim to all people, no matter what you've done. He takes your place on the cross, and he dies for you, and he puts on you a crown of righteousness and robes of righteousness, and you will sit forever at the, at the feast of the Lamb and will live forever with him. He gives you eternal life when you deserved condemnation. It's a pretty good message, isn't it? If we did a better job, maybe 91% wouldn't think our message is condemnation. Now, I'm not saying that statistic is true. But what I am saying is we better understand what Jesus said when it counted the most. Look at the scene around him. So exactly what is grace? Let's talk about that for a second. Everyone has heard the the, the different definitions, unmerited favor or whatever. You'll be surprised, like I said, Jesus never used the word grace, even though the Bible said he was full of grace and what? He was full of grace and truth. He taught it at every time. Everything he ever said, he talked about grace. The prodigal son, when he realized that his father was not judging him, but he ran to him. His father, who should have condemned him after he blew all of his inheritance, he thought he was going to be judged. He thought he was going to just live like one of the servants. But the moment he saw dad running, he realized, it's not being held against me. And he was covered with a new robe that he did not earn and did not deserve. Jesus' stories are great, aren't they? There was a woman caught in adultery. And all the Pharisees were back getting ready to throw and stone her. The guy, no one ever heard about him. That's another story. The guy slips away. What's even worse, he's probably one of the guys with the stones. And Jesus comes along and the woman is sitting there condemned by society. And Jesus comes along as she is standing, sitting there and kneeling in the dirt, ready to be stoned. And you know, he starts writing down sins. And they were probably the sins every one of those men said. And one by one, they dropped their stones and walked away. And Jesus says, who condemns you? And she said, well, since you're not carrying a stone, I don't think anyone is he said, that's right. You are forgiven. Go and sin no more. Jesus loved to forgive. Even though it drove the Pharisees wacko when he would do it. One time he was in the town called Capernaum. I call it the Capernaum caper. How would you like it if four guys and you had Jesus at your home, the Son of God, the Messiah, at your home, you're feeding them your best pasta. You're, you're feeding them fresh bread and pasta and cannolis and all that stuff, and someone knocks a hole in your roof. The first time the stone fell, they probably, he probably told his son, you know what, go, go check out what's happening but finally after a little while a whole while, it's a big enough hole to lower the guy down and the pharisees are sitting there indignant and Jesus looks at him and before he said take up your mat and trot or cotton trot anyone remember what he said your sins are forgiven all the Pharisees they were
1: (laughs) you can't do that
0: you're not allowed to only God forgives sins it's not written but I can hear Jesus saying now you're starting to give it but it drove them nuts when he addressed sin Because in the Old Testament, you couldn't forgive your sin. Only God. You could only do what it takes to appease God. But Jesus knew nothing would appease God but the sinless Lamb of God. Dying, paying the price. You see, he not only had the authority to forgive sins, he had the purity to pay the price for sins. Don't you love them? I'm glad June does. Maybe some of you others may do it in quiet. You see, grace makes God personal. Because the word for grace that's in the Old Testament and New Testament, the Hebrew meaning actually is to stoop or to bend. Not to bend over. When my daughter was, I have two girls and one son, when our kids were really young. I had a back surgery not many years before that. And I remember when Izzy was at her youngest, and and I would I'd go to lean over and, and you know what? I couldn't reach her. So you know what I had to do? I had to get down on my knees, put my arms around her and get down to the level where she was at the problem is to bend or to stoop is you can't get that to that place without getting dirty yourself and being affected jesus had to become one of us to reach us where we were at anyone know that's true i spent 2 years in a wheelchair most of you don't know that story in my life but i grew 8 inches in just a matter of months my pituitary gland did, had too much. And my, my femur bone slipped out of its sockets. And I was in a wheelchair for two years. Several times I was, I was being pushed or I was trying to push. And it was the cement or wherever I was at or I, on the grass. And, 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 and the, the wheelchair was not a great wheelchair. And I tipped over. And I wasn't able to pick myself up. You see, grace means to bend or to stoop and to do something for the one you are bending to that they couldn't do themselves. We cannot lift ourselves out of the pit of sin. We cannot lift ourselves out of the pain of infirmity. We couldn't do it. We still can't do it. No matter how smart we get, we can't lift ourselves out of the pit. But thanks be to God, Jesus, the sinless lamb of God, came and bent down and stooped down to where we are at and say, "When I'm on this level, I can grasp you." You see, we don't even know I read my son you know my son was a boy he he still is a boy he, he's 20 years old and there are days that he seems 30 or 40 there are, he's an actor there are also days that he still seems 9 but he he was 9 he would come in and he would be covered with dirt anthony how'd you get dirty i don't know dad i don't know how did i don't <laughs> know How did you get? That's a brand new shirt. How did you get it dirty? I don't know. Well, that's great. That's jelly on it. That's a good first start where we maybe got it. But he never knew how he got dirty. He just got dirty. Most of us don't know how we got where we were in our sins. We try to cover it up so bad. but The fact is God gets to us right at that place because he can't heal us or change us until he applies grace, his, his unmerited favor, his love that stoops and bends and gets down to the place where he says, I finally have it. And he applies something that we can't do for ourselves. That man can't do for us, that no woman can do it for a man, and no man can do it for a woman, having Ten kids won't do it. You could have as many more kids thinking that will do it. A kid can't make that a part of your heart whole. Only the one who came from heaven and bent down to get us to that place where we don't have the ability, he swoops down, he stoops down, he bends down, and he grasps us, and he does what we can't do on our own. That's what grace is. Amen. Thank you. There are now three people that believe that. (laughs) Your wife needs grace, gentlemen. Women, your husband needs grace. Your brothers need grace. Your sisters need grace. Your pastor needs grace. Your worker needs grace. Your teacher needs grace. You need grace. I need grace. There is not a day in my life and in your life That you don't need the grace of God. Do you realize? I cannot earn one answered prayer in my life. Why does he answer our prayers? Anyone want to take a guess? It's grace. Why? Because he hears where we're at and he says, I'll get to that level and love you on that level. You see, chapter 13 of the book of 1 Corinthians is the love chapter. Chapter 11 of the book of Hebrews is the faith chapter. This moment, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they do. I know it's late. We're going to take communion. Let me give you three characteristics about this grace. Are you with me so far? Number one, in our weakest moments, God's grace, there it is, Dell. Can we, can we get that first one? I'd love to see it. Do you have that, that first point? Talk amongst yourself. <laughs> it's a great point, and I want you to be able to read it so you can get it as I say it. I guess we don't have it. Is it not there? Oh, it crashed again. Okay. the First one, in our weakest moments. God's grace flows supernaturally. In our weakest moments, God's grace flows supernaturally. in our we- Say it with me. In our weakest moments, God's grace flows supernaturally. It wasn't enough for Jesus to come as a baby to prove that he comes into our weaknesses. Throughout his whole ministry, he forgave sins. Like the, the, the portion I told you about in, in Mark chapter 2. And they sat there and they, they got so upset that he forgave their sins. And so he, he comes at the mo- weakest moments of our life. He shows us the way that in the painful moments of our life, grace flows not only to other people, but to us. In the weakest moments of our life, in the most sinful moments of our life, God wants us to live supernaturally in the toughest moments. Realize He did not have the power at this moment to forgive. That's the next point. But the fact is, in His weakest moment, He didn't have a hand to reach out to these people. He was on the cross of Calvary. There was no resource in him. He couldn't tap anything. And so the only thing he can do in his weakness of the cross of Calvary as he saw the people that deserve condemnation. The Pharisees were at his feet. The Romans put put the spikes in his hands and drove the spear in his side. The criminals were taunting him. And he says, Father, forgive them. In my weakness, there is nothing inside of me that can give me that kind of power, that kind of love, and that kind of grace. Jesus no longer can stress because God's grace, not when we are filled with the resurrection, as a reservoir of love. I'm feeling so good today, I can forgive you. No, no, no. You don't need grace when you're feeling good about a person. You need God's grace when you want to send them to condemnation for the rest of their life. The weakest moments in them and in you. Because how we handle it is as much a weakness as that person who's testing you to give them grace. Because in our weakest moment, when we are weakest, it takes us. Listen here. When we are in our weakest moment, it takes us out of our shape and puts us into God's shape. Because you are never more like God than when you are forgiving someone. When I am weak, it takes me out of who I am. I'm weak because this isn't my strong spot. This isn't my strong suit. When I am weak, it takes me out of my shape and puts me into God's shape. Because when you are forgiving someone, you are never more in the shape of God than when you are forgiving At our weakest moment, our anger, our perfectionism, our masks, they all arise. But forgiveness is surrendering my right to hurt you when you're hurting me. Let me say that again. Forgiveness is me, God's forgiveness, is me surrendering my right to hurt you when you're hurting me. God had every right to to cast condemnation on us. But that's not what Jesus did. He was casting forgiveness on us. When he had every right to to condemn us, he was giving us forgiveness. You see, the Garden of Gethsemane, that would be a much better place. You see, because it's not our job to manufacture grace. You are not called to be a grace manufacturer you are simply called to be a grace dispenser you know i'm just going to mention where but i'm going to sit on this and then we're going to close when you go in the bathroom and you've done what you can't went there to do and you go to the sink water isn't good enough right You need something to take away what you've done in that room. And so on the wall, there's what? A what? A soap dispenser. Does that thing produce soap? Does it manufacture soap? What does it do? It dispenses soap. Let me ask you a question. Is it your job To produce forgiveness? It's not a tough question. Take, let me give you a clue. Soap dispenser? Is it your job to manufacture forgiveness? Is it your job in your heart to have the emotions to get to a place where you have every want to forgive that person who has terribly hurt you? We're not called to be a grace manufacturer. In his humanity, Jesus understood that on the cross. Because those that were at the foot of the cross didn't deserve it. And so he called out. Because at that moment, he was not a grace manufacturer. Put him at Capernaum in that house. he, He produces the forgiveness that that man needed. But at the moment on the cross, he didn't produce it. He only knew where to find it. And he says to the Father, Father, forgive them because right now I'm just dispensing your grace on them. Folks, that's what we're called to be. Grace dispensers. Not yours. Because when you do it right, they don't walk away seeing, my, how great you are. But when you do it right, they walk away saying, my, how wonderful God is. But it's hard to actually have that in your life. Because in the backyard of our lives, we have this pile. You remember that pastor who hurt you? And left, but he hurt you and judged you, and, 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 and you actually left his church because he hurt you so bad, right? Okay, let's put that in your backyard. How about that youth pastor who didn't treat your kids right, and so, you're, you're, so you think, but that's why your daughter backslid, all right? How about your boss that, you know what, he didn't give you that raise. And your next boss that didn't give you the promotion, and your current boss that just plumb doesn't like you. Or that coworker you don't like. Or that neighbor. Or that person that doesn't seem to say hi to you at church. Or that person who has parties but never invites you. <laughs> it's an Italian penguin. Or that guy that broke up with you when you were 22 years old and you thought that was it? Or the father who left your mother alone to raise you? You get the story, don't you?
1: Oh yeah, I forgive.
0: It's just in my backyard. (laughs) No one sees it. I I have this little pile. Hey, they're there because they deserve to be there, right? Father, forgive them. Do you ever come to the end of your grace and destine someone to condemnation when you don't forgive them? You're destining them. Not enough grace. Not enough grace. Not enough grace. And so the pile gets bigger in your backyard. The very tense of this verb, it's called an imperfect tense. If it just happened in the past, it would be called an aorist. Sorry, now I'm talking like a doctor. but I do have a doctorate from Fuller, but the imperfect does not mean it's not a good verb. It means it happened in the past, occurs to the present, and goes on indefinitely to the future. So that when Jesus said, Father, forgive them, he meant it on the cross. But he also meant it when he was being whipped. Or when he was at Pilate's. Or when he was at Herod's. Or when the Pharisees were were making fun of him. Or when people sin against him. Or when you and I sin against him. He is saying time and time and time again, Father, forgive them. For they do not know. They don't know. You see, he wasn't there to find salvation. He didn't need to be saved. We did. And so on the cross of Calvary, when everyone came and threw all their junk on him, Jesus didn't need to be saved, he was God. And he stood there because he knew we did. So that he could get to us and say, Father, forgive him. Because I love him too much for him to have anything else but him knowing. I would do anything for him. Do we serve a great God or what?
1: That's God's grace.
0: Something you and I will never produce. It's just something that we are called to dispense every day of our life. I'm going to ask the musicians to come and for them to bring communion. I know it's later than you usually go, but I couldn't tell you I'll end it next week. But I want you to bow your heads right now. And if there is some area of your life that you need God's forgiveness, I want you to understand there is no pit so deep he cannot reach you. And if that is you, before you take communion, you call out to him and say, Father, I am about to take this blood, but before I do, I lay open the sin of, the unforgiveness and the things in my life that needs your forgiveness. And He's here to do it because He died on the cross for you. You could distribute it now. I'll take peace. And if there is someone in the backyard of your life, if there is a whole, let me tell you something this church is a good church. This is a great congregation and you have a great pastor. But let me tell you, if your spiritual backyards are still filled with people in there that you won't forgive, you can stand here and sing till Jesus comes and the Spirit won't move because He's waiting for us to dispense what has been given to us. And so I'm going to ask you, It's cleaning night. I ask you, clean the backyard of your life right now. Get those things out of your backyard so that he could come and dwell in you. I believe that if you get that stuff, you see, Christians that become stubborn and won't move usually are afraid that if they did, something would be shown. And usually it's that there is a body or two in their backyard. And so I ask you, now's the time to say, God, I I put this body back here 20 years ago. Sound like the Italians. God, today, it's time to clean house. Father, forgive me, for I didn't know. But today... You weren't there to save yourself. You were there so that 2,000 years later, I will call upon your name and I will be saved. will not you stand to your feet with me? And the night he was betrayed, he took the cup and said to them, this is my blood. And he took the bread and he said, this is my body. He was broken so that we can be whole. He gave his life. Let me tell you, forgiveness has a cost. Healing has a cost. And this piece of bread shows you the cost of the Son of God. And so today, if you need something to be bought in the spiritual realm for your life, As we take this, I want you to claim it because this is the cost of what you need in your life today. Anyone say amen to that? So this is his body, he said, which I give for you. Every time you take it, do this in remembrance of me. Take and not only remember, but partake of what he did for us. Before we take the cup with your heads bowed, If you'll say, Tony, I need the backyard of my life cleaned out, I want you to raise your hand. The raising of the hand isn't there so God can figure it out. He already knows. Lord, before we take this blood, we have not given your grace to some because, in plain English, we were hurt, we were mad, we were angry and we weren't you, so I die so that you can live. So I say this, Father, forgive them, for I don't know what I'm doing at times. So Father, forgive them on my behalf. That that's you, just say it, Father, forgive them. So he took the cup and he said, this is my blood which I shed for you. It covers your sins. It heals your body. And it gives you eternal power. Take and drink as we partake of his blood. Won't you lead us in a chorus?
1: Amazing grace, how sweet the sound my heart to fear And grace my fears relieved How precious did That grace appear The hour I first believe
0: now may the grace of our lord and savior jesus christ and may the freedom of the power of his forgiveness not only cleanse your past change your present and 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 make a way for the future may his grace his grace be dispensed every day of your life. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. God bless, bless you. And may his grace strengthen and keep you. Amen. God bless you.